Hello and welcome to Reflections with Raja, a podcast about finding purpose, storytelling, and navigating life. My name is Raja Butter and I use they, them pronouns. Join me on this weekly journey as I talk to incredible people living thoughtfully every day. Today, my guest is a dear friend and someone who has become a role model and inspiration and someone that continues to just rock it every day in all that she does. And so I'm excited to introduce to you Dr. Janet Cordovez, who is the Director of Higher Education Partnerships for the Interfaith Youth Corps. Um, But beyond her title, she really just is a rock star in so much of what she does, partially because of the way she brings her passion and spirituality to everything uh, and every space that she holds. So Please join me in welcoming Dr. Janet Cordovas. Hi, Janet. Hi, Raja. I feel like there should be like a crowd that just ruptures into applause with that intro. Are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are talking about you, Janet. Mm, thank uh, you, thank you, thank you for having me here. I love this. Thanks for including me and thank you for telling all those nice things about me. <laughs> no, thank you for being who you are and, and the way you hold space. I think that's just really cool. So let's get started. Tell me uh, a little about who you are. What's your story, Janet? Whoa. (laughs) You know, part of my job is in uh, creating story and lifting up specifically at IFYC stories about positive interfaith cooperation. And so I focus a lot on storytelling and pulling out stories where we find things in common, where we're working towards a common good, and where we're making the world just a better place to live but when when you ask me that question my mind goes to what section or what area of my life do I want to emphasize Mm. so do I want to emphasize that I'm one out of four siblings so I want to tell that story do I want to tell the story of being a first generation Gubana STEM student do I want to tell the story of being a pianist and a ballerina or just one of like working at six different universities and loving higher education, right? So it's like, what do I tell? Or do I tell the story of like being married and getting divorced? Like what story? What's the story of me? Um, But I will, I'm going to focus on one. I'm going to choose one. And it's in that I am higher ed adjacent now, right? I work at a nonprofit that focuses interfaith cooperation. I worked in higher education for 15 years, but that's not where my journey started. My journey started as a first-generation college student studying applied mathematics and computer science. I thought I was going to go into actuarial sciences. I wish someone would have told me prior to going to grad school where I changed to higher education and admin and supervision then maybe I should have taken one actuarial exam and maybe started in that field because my bank account might look completely different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and and I share that to say that um, I love numbers, I love analytics, um, I love that I studied, I love how my mind thinks about numbers and data, which has always been a benefit in all the different roles and positions that I've been in. And I'm bummed... I mean, my life is where exactly where I'm supposed to be. I believe that. And I'm bummed that I didn't see that through. 
and um, but it's connected to the different organizations that I try to financially support and the people that I mentor. Mm. Yeah, I think what you bring up for me is just that we all have so many stories that make us who we are, right? And so I've, the reason I choose to start with that question is because there's so much there and we can choose to tell so many different versions of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think you also made me think about all the, the who we could have been, right? And, and yet, why are we here? I mean, that's the other part, right? And, and why are we where we are and what we're doing in this space? Um, so tell me a little more about that journey. What inspired you to do what you're doing today? So many things. I think um, my upbringing in a, in a Catholic home. My mom always read the Bible. My aunt and I always prayed the rosary beads. Going to Catholic school, realizing how religion was so important to so many people from Christianity to, and I'm thinking particularly in my neighborhood and the students that I was in grad and grade school with, and then high school, Muslim and Hindu and, and Christian. Those is kind of like the religious diversity of like my, my, my upbringing, the neighborhood that I was in. And then when I got to my first professional job, I was a um, I was, well, you always wear multiple hats in higher education, right? <laughs> but I was a residence hall director, and in that role, I was an adjudicator of cases, and I was a first responder, and I was on campus connecting with so many students. And this is now 15 years ago, and I was realizing and observing the religious diversity of the campus and realizing that we didn't have all the accommodations for the demographics that were on our campus, and specifically when there were religious hate crimes or moments of intolerance, there wasn't a knowledge base of who would deal with what, what were the policies, what were the procedures, and what would be the follow-up or even the consequences. And for me in particular, one night there was a student that found themselves making a poor choice and I ended up being in the hospital with them. And at the hospital, I'm there as a representative of the institution as you know, career personalist, I'm here for the whole student. What is it that you need? How can I be of service to you? And she asked me, will you pray with me? Mm. And I said, sure. What do you pray? That to say that there are so many different faiths. And so I started to hone in on that area and constantly think about what are the policies in place, what are the accommodations in place, what do faculty and staff know about academic accommodations, meditation centers, spiritual centers on campus. And I just started having an eye to it and constantly focusing it on it that when I went to go do my doctorate, I was like, mm, I want to look at the spiritual experiences of first-generation college students. Mm. That's what I did. That's and then awesome. eventually, you know, connected with IFYC and different, you know, um, higher ed conferences and and started my job. Yeah, that's awesome. It's been four years now, almost almost four years. Wow, what a journey! What a journey! Yeah. <laughs> and I learned so much, you know. And I've lived, like I, you know, six, seven different cities, different institutions, and I'm calling Chicago home now. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's beautiful. I think for me that resonates with the finding purpose in those moments because I remember. Be also being in hospitals with students and like, what the hell am I doing in my life? And then it seemed to having that moment of, those are the moments that are defined, those are students I still am in touch with, yes. you know, and, yes. and how it deepens our connections and remind, reminds us of our humanity in some ways. 
I mean, what a privilege that at their most vulnerable, you are there. I mean, I think about that for me. Like, when I'm at my most vulnerable, who's there? Someone that is trusted, Mm. someone that can keep a secret and be confidential, and someone that wants my well-being. And here we are, by the roles that we're in, able to do that for someone. And um, I always took it very seriously, and it was very, very important to me. Yeah, I love that. So I think you touched on it a little bit, but I want to dig deeper. Um, what is your gift to the world? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I, you know I, oh, I'm Christian. We don't boast. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very humble. I never say anything. I know a couple anything. of Christians that boast. But... Well, I'm speaking about me <laughs> and my interpretation. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. No, God God um, has great wrath for those that are arrogant and boastful because um, it means that we are independently of him doing good. And so for me, it's very important to be humble. I'm naturally that way. I think culturally and some social norming and all that things that that have occurred in my experiences, but I, I am very humble. So it's like, what? <laughs> What, who am I and what gift do I bring to this world? Oh, that's deep. That's real deep. <laughs> um, but if I had to, you're, I'm, you're, I'm going to say something. I, yeah, I'm, if I'm answering the question. I'd say joy. Hmm. Um, it's not to say that I don't feel other things. And it's, um, and it's not to say that I am always joyful. But my mind, and sometimes not appreciated by others, but tries to find laughter in a really sucky situation, sure. joy in in the storm, the silver lining um, in what is unfolding. And I'm just wired that way. And be- because of my faith, as I was just uh, sharing with you, I ask the Holy Spirit daily to fill me with self-control, with self-discipline, with joy, with love, with kindness, with compassion, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think I was just born to be of of service Mm. in in in, in my way of being of service is with my hands, absolutely, and with bringing joy to people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. I, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard. I don't think, what do you say? That's, I, I am joy in manifestation. I'm here. <laughs> it makes me think of, I mean, just our series, right? So at mm. the beginning of the pandemic, we started um, thriving in this time as yes. something, I'm not sure if I fully understood the depth of what it was going to be. And now hundred and something episodes in, we're still going strong. And partially, I think it works is that we do share that sense of, there's always possibility for joy in every situation and and not to ignore the not joyful or the painful but that in that we can we still have a responsibility to somehow make sense of it and um i think as humans we're trained to Mm -hmm. at least for me i tend to go to all the horrible things in the world um and so how do i then also remember and recognize the how do we really um, center the joy? Not necessarily only focus on it, but like amidst everything, how do we center it, right? How do we make that the centerpiece of how we lead and how we think about it? So I really appreciate that. Mm, thank you. And, and I know there's, you know, psychology behind that and, you know, really great authors and, you know, um, Bell Hook, she talks about, I mean, 
there, there's lots of work out there about the importance of joy, specifically for joy for marginalized populations. Um, but I, I haven't really investigated it, but I know that that's just how I show up. Hmm. And sometimes people aren't ready for the joy because they want to <laughs> sulk or, or, or be in it or be angry. And I can do that. So I might not be the best person that's just going to sit there. Um, but when needed... You can call on me. I'll bring joy. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, and important to know what your strengths are and what you're, what, what you're not good at. What I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be angry and miserable for like a few days, I am not your girl. <laughs> right. Call me afterwards. Call me afterwards. <laughs> um, so part of what I appreciate about you is that you're always so, you're learning all the time. Um, you're such a learner to the tea but also you're action oriented and so um what's something we can all do to make this world better Oof. there's so many things like where to start right um respect proximity engagement be in contact with i'm thinking of like all all the the researchers right in that area of of um of connection and not being, not staying in our homogenous communities or in our spaces of, of comfort, right? Get to your learning edge. So I'm, I'm thinking about all that. Um, but I, I think in all of that, the necessary thing to do is to learn how to listen, to practice how to listen not listen with an agenda, not listen to find yourself in someone else's story, not listen because you're voluntold to listen, right? Especially I think now there's so many um, like communications and dialogue and let's center race and we're be- and people are being told and, and, and having to do things that are now a requirement. But when you're in those spaces, you- from the nonverbals will tell you, and Zoom doesn't hide that. Let's be clear. You can tell when someone's listening, right? Like, I mean, think of a time that you weren't being listened to. The eyes, the the sitting back in the chair, not engaging. And then what happens when you're not listened to? Well, why would I tell you the same story again? I just told you. And when you have to repeat yourself, oh, I didn't know you were from Miami, even though I've told you a hundred times, I am from Miami, Florida. So you start to pick up that people just aren't listening. I, I remember, you know, when I moved from out east and I would say to my colleagues, how are you? And they would actually answer. That was so new for me because on the east coast, I would say, hey, how are you? It's nice to see you. And would be like, okay. And it was just part of the, the sentence structure. Mm. It wasn't really intended to, to pause and actually answer the question. When I moved to the Midwest and I was like, oh, hey, how are you? Thinking I'd just keep, you know, strolling along, get to my desk oh, you know, I'm actually doing okay this week. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I got to listen. Um, no, but, but I, I, I think it's a lost art. I think it's at the foundation of so much pain, at so much misunderstanding. If we were just to listen to our friends, our community members, our teachers, just to hear, just to listen to their story, to what they're experiencing, it would increase empathy, understanding, love, 
compassion. And I, I just really think it's a lost art. We're constantly thinking about our response. What are we going to say? What am I going to say to change your mind? We have an agenda. And it's not just listening. Like you asked me about my story and I shared with you. And you're just listening. And that felt so good. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's so freaking rare. <laughs> we don't do it. Right. And so when it actually happens, when you meet up with a friend for coffee or you have a good dialogue, you mark it in your books. You're like, wow, that person was actually listening to what I said. Um, so I think that's where I would start. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, listening, I think, is definitely one of the most important skills, particularly in leadership, but in general in the world right now. And it's also one of the hardest. Yeah. So in doing all this work, both in your community engagement work and your professional work and your writing and your research and your scholarship, what nourishes you? Where do you find (laughs) space for yourself? Well, I'm one of those lucky people that I pursued my purpose and vocation. I'm a big, big uh, proponent of Ignatian exercises and ask myself multiple times in my journey, what brings me joy? Does the world need me to do it? And, and am I any good at it? And I asked myself that multiple times throughout my life. And I am doing what I believe I am made to be doing. And so that brings me a, a great deal of purpose. It also brings me to like 90-hour work weeks because everything I touch, I'm involved in and working on, I'm really passionate about. <laughs> Um, so it's a good question of where I get nourished. I get nourishment from my work, from, from helping people engage across lines of religious difference, from writing our series and thriving in this time brings me such, such joy and fulfillment, um, writing, uh, being in nature, spending time with my family. I'm so close to my family and my friends, oh, such good people. Um, but on a daily basis, I get my nourishment from God. Mm. I, I, I do devotional every day. I do prayer time every day. I look up the verse of the day from you version. And I, I meditate on it. Um, today's uh, specific verse was about to combat evil, do more good. So focus on the good to combat evil. And so I've been meditating on that all day. And it's just been on my heart and, and how I've responded to people how I've interacted with people, like do more good in my conversation with you, in my email with you, in my response with you, when I go to the store, when I went to Target, you know, and all of it, just kind of thinking about it all day. And then I do a devotional every day and um, center three or four different passages before I go to sleep. So God, there's no way I would have made it through this pandemic um, (laughs) without you. (laughs) And it's not on the same playing field. Sure, sure. And God. <laughs> um, but really, doing this series with Thriving in This Time, I have nourished my soul and my mind and, and uh, my heart in ways I had not thought when we thought, what can we do for our community? How, how can we thrive together? And I had at no time considered that we'd be in the hundreds or so episodes. Um, I'm... So, yeah, I get nourishment from that, but primarily from God. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, So in this work and in all the things that you're doing, 
Who inspires you and where do you get your inspiration from? Oh, all the badass women in my life. Oh my goodness. Um, Maria Hinosa, um, Gloria Andres Saldua, um, Dolores Huerta, my grandmother, Berta Brito, the women in my family, um, you know, some of them own businesses, some of them are deep in their faith. Um, everywhere. I think inspiration is everywhere if you seek to find it. I mean, my president and founder at IFYC and, and what he does, he's able to do Janan, Mary Ellen, my colleagues, Carolyn. Um, and, and, I, and I try to, I'm focusing on women because I don't think we highlight them enough. Mm. Um, but there's lots of men that, that inspire me. Um, you know, my past colleagues, uh, George Airy and Christopher Karedich, um and uh, Felicia McGinty and Chris Catching. I'm I'm inspired by many things and all the books right that I spend time in from De La Torre. I was just reading his book and um, uh, I get inspiration from there. And and how am I going to do my work and how am I going to be a better person and how how can I make the world a little better than how I found it. Um, but if I had to focus in on things that, or someone or something that gives me inspiration, i say my family. I have no excuse to not be my best self. My parents busted their ass to give me the life that I have today. And I have no excuse to not be the best version they envision. Um, I, I mean, I saw both of them work 13, 14 hours a day and not be absent. They didn't miss shit. They showed up for everything. They didn't know the language. People were not kind to them. They weren't included in all the conversations, but they didn't care. They came. And um, now, three generations later, what we've been able to create and build, and my nieces and nephews are now studying at Liberty and Colgate and um, Loyola, and now they're doing things, and it's so beautiful to see. So I'd say my greatest inspiration is my family. And within that, my grandmother who passed away two years ago, my aunt Vilma, my uncle Orlando and my dad Archimedes, and my my mom Rosa, and my aunt Carmen. Hmm. Beautiful, yeah. Family is so important, and I think both chosen and birth families <sighs> can have such impacts. And and also, the thing reminds me that we are those who are in our community with. Right. So that's really important. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is that I'm, 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 I love the arts, right? So I get inspired by the billboards now that, you know, we're, our, our painters, and I live in Chicago, and the painters have done, like, graffiti walls. And that's so inspiring about, like, living a world, living in a world where we embrace our diversity. So it's, like, so much inspiration there. Um, and then there's people singing in the middle of the street and you hear their voice and they sound like angels and you're like, okay, it's not so dire. Maybe today could be better. Um, and then you go into a store and you interact with the clerk and they're happy for whatever reason. 
And if you pick up on it, right? So there's just so much inspiration around us, even though there are awful things around us. If we stop and listen, I think we can pick up and have and be inspired by the little things too. Yes, they're in books. Yes, they're in historical figures. Yes, they're in movies and movie stars. You can be inspired. And they're in the common individual that you maybe miss every day. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you, Janet, for those wisdoms and insights and points of joy. Um, I often think of Marie Kondo, like what brings you joy, right? And and I feel like you bring me joy. So thank you for the work that you do and who you are. Um, this has been another episode of Reflection with Raja. If you're interested to learn more about Dr. Cordovez, check out the link and her bio. And also check out more episodes on various different platforms, most newestly on Amazon Music, but also on Podbean, Google Music, Apple Music. Thanks for listening to the episode today. The song you heard is called Happy on the Meadow by Kie Lokaz. Check out their link as well and have a wonderful day. Thank you.